So today we're on the back half of the series titled Entrusted. And for the past two weeks, Chris has been walking us through what it means to be entrusted as followers of Christ. The first week was a parable in Matthew 23 on the dangers of, hip of hypocrisy. We looked at what that means to challenge our egos, and let's face it, every single one of us have one, and they could all afford to be challenged every once in a while. We touch on what it means to essentially practice what you, what you preach. And then finally, uh, we dove into what it truly means to start to make a shift from a rights and entitlement frame of mind to a life of responsibility in serving others. Last week, Chris walked everybody through the first part of Matthew 25, where he shared his parable that shed light on the consequences of failing to take personal responsibility. Essentially, what are each of us doing with the time on that hyphen that will be on our headstones when we pass away? That hyphen that's in between those two dates because that's what counts. How are we to wait? We took away from that to stay alert, to wait with purpose, and to be prepared. So today I get to expound on that a little more, on how we are to wait through Jesus's next parable that he shares. We're gonna pick right up where Chris left off last week. So if you would turn with me into your Bibles, we're gonna to go to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and you can follow along with me as I read aloud. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Forever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we have another parable that Jesus gives to try to get us to understand essentially what we've been entrusted with and what we are to do with it. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Earlier in the book of Matthew in chapter 13, 
Jesus' disciples actually ask him why he uses parables to teach. And Jesus explains to them that he uses them as a way to convey spiritual truths to those who have a desire to understand truthfully. Those who had rejected Jesus and his teachings just brushed off what he had said. By using parables, those who had a desire to truly know and understand and follow Jesus had to think. They had to use their minds, and that's exactly what Jesus was going for. He wanted to provoke their thoughts. It is important um, to understand that with that desire to seek and to know will ultimately result in an actual relationship with God. And it's also important to know that the reason why Jesus, is, Jesus came was to restore a relationship with God. So as we keep that in mind and we look back at the parable, knowing the parables are what they are, one can deduce that this is not about going out there and investing in the stock market. Okay, It's not a call for me to go and start pushing money around. Those bags of gold or silver or talents, depending on your translation, are representative of the gifts and the skills and the abilities, our resources, social positions, education, time, money, responsibility, all of that that we're given by God. A little side note, uh, the word being translated from Greek here is talenton, which is essentially a sum of a weight of money. Um, so that's why there's different gold or silver or talents, depending on, on what we're reading. And it's understood that a single talent uh, was comparable to nearly 20 years of wages at that time. So it's safe to say that even one talent is more than what anyone would have needed. The man in the parable gave each servant a different amount of money, each according to his own ability, but expected the same amount of effort from each person. So it did not matter if they had five or two or one. They were expected to get out there and use what they had been given. And that fact alone says to me, on some level, that we and our pursuits have just been removed from the equation. Because if the expectation is the same, regardless of whether or not someone has a lot or a little, then clearly it's not about us. Our ego has just been removed from the situation, or at least it should be. I'm going to go back to, to each according to his own ability for, for just a moment here. It's important to recognize that in a world that almost forces daily self-comparison on some level, think of social media, think of our friends' opinions, our family's opinions, we need to see through that. And we need to know that we have, which is, that what we have, which is given to us by God, according to our own abilities, is purposeful. I like to think of it like this. Say that you either have children or you have a leadership role of sorts in your day-to-day -day life. Are you going to task each person the exact same thing if you know that they do not have the ability or the capacity to do it? So bear with me here. I cannot ask my six-year-old to do the same chores that I ask my 10-year-old to do. I could, but I would be setting her up for failure. So my 10-year-old's height advantage alone is unfair. My six-year-old cannot reach the high cupboards to put the cups away, but she can reach the hutch where we put the silverware, so that's her task. 
And if she doesn't do it, I know that it has something to do with her and the choices that she's making. And it's not because I have given her an impossible responsibility. Now, does the fact that my 10-year-old puts the cups away, okay, does it mean that my six-year-old is somehow less significant to me because she did, couldn't do the same task that my 10-year-old could? No, not at all. Does the fact that because my 10-year-old has the height advantage, thus giving her the ability to accomplish both tasks, make her more significant than the six-year-old? Well, no, not at all. Let's remember that. Each of the servants have been given these different amounts of their master's wealth, each according to his ability, and they're expected to use it to produce some sort of ROI, return on investment. After a long time, the master returns to see how they have used his wealth, not theirs, his, that which has been entrusted to them. So the servant who was given five showed the, showed the man, the master, how he'd used what was entrusted to him and grew it. And the response that the servant received was, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. And another sidebar, faithful with a few things. If one talent is roughly 20 years of wages, and the servant had five talents, the master viewed things differently than we do, right? If that's a few, and we are like, wow, that's crazy, that's a lot. It's just something to think of. The exact same dialogue happened between the master and his servant who was given two. The servant showed how he used what was entrusted to him and he grew it. And the master's response was, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. Now, because, because of these two interactions with servant one and two, we can infer that the response for the servant who had won would have been the same had he done at least something with what he was given. But he didn't, he didn't do anything. When face to face with the master after he returned, the servant said that he was scared of losing any of the wealth that was entrusted to him. So he dug a hole in the ground and put what belonged to his master in there. And then when he was face to face with his master, he dug it up, he gave it right back to him. And he said, hey, here, have what is yours. The master's response was not, thank you. I'm so happy that I still have what was mine. Thank you for protecting it. I get that you were scared. Come and be with me and the other servants and we can share happiness together. That's not what the response was. It was very uncomfortable. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. And then he called him out for lying, saying that if he really was scared, that he would have at least done something instead of literally doing nothing and burying it. And then he cast that servant out into the darkness. Among the many differences between the first two servants and the third one, the lack of faith of servant number three is probably the most glaring. When the master returned in regards to the first two servants, it did not matter what the amount was that they presented him with. We are never told how they utilized what was given to them, like what they did to grow it. We don't know exactly what they did. Nothing is ever said about the amount of time that it took each of them. All that we know is that a long time had passed from the time that the master had left 
to the time to the master returned. The only thing that mattered, the only thing that is even acknowledged, is their faithfulness. And not only is it acknowledged, but it is pointed out that because of their faithfulness, they will now partake in all of their things that the master has. And this is interesting to me because there seems to be this resounding theme of a parallel between faith and action. Last week's parable and the parable two weeks ago also point to this. I feel like if, if Jesus, our Savior, if he spent an extended amount of his very short time here on this earth trying to get us to understand what faith truly is so intimately, then maybe I should start evaluating what I think faith is. All of a sudden, faith is looking a little less like a hashtag when I'm feeling happy and blessed, and it's looking more like movement. It's looking less like a wall entry greeting sign. Hey, welcome to our house. Welcome to our place of gathering where we have faith. And it looks more like a life shift. There's nothing wrong with hashtags and there's nothing wrong with signs. But have we assumed that just because we say it, we automatically are filled with it? I don't know. Jesus shows us time and time again that faith is an action and it is a continuous action. We have been given this amazing gift. And I'm not talking about the gift of eternal life, that's the gift. What I'm talking about is the gift of being entrusted. That's exactly what the parable just showed us. The man entrusted his wealth to his servants so that they could grow it. God could have been all, well, here's another one saved. Okay, we're going to go for another. And maybe he puts us in this weird little bag off to the side with all the other saved people of the world. And he just says, well, all right, y'all just hang out here. Okay, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take you up. You're, you're, we're all going to hang together. and We're all going to just have fun. All right. That's, that's not how it goes, right? And it sounds ridiculous. That sounds ridiculous. But do you know how many times that I've lived my life waiting around that bag for Jesus to get back, hanging out? What does God say? He says, okay, now you're mine. Now you go and do my work. My work is now your work. My work is our work. And that's the responsibility that comes along with it. And even logically, isn't that life contrary to what like the past few decades have been trying to like maybe influence upon us? Truth is true. I'm as sure as I'm standing here that good, amazing, worthwhile things, those take time. They take effort. They take responsibility. It takes being good stewards of the things of which we have been given. We don't get to sit back and collect and then we get angry when we think things don't go as they should. That's called entitled. We are not entitled. We are entrusted. The creator of all of this, God, Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, he is entrusting every single one of us to help expand his kingdom. We've been blessed beyond reason with this opportunity. It's a gift to be able to take part in the greatest work of all. I think that's something to be thankful for. What are we doing with the, end, the time in between? What are we gonna do with the gifts, talents, gold, silver, whatever you wanna call them? What are we gonna do with those things that we've been entrusted with? 
how are we going to wait for the return of our master? So this is not a call to go and we all just start running around like headless chickens. We're going to our personal holes in the ground that, and we're going to start unburying things that we buried because now we're going to compensate for lost time. It's not an invitation to start overcommitting ourselves even more than what we already know are in the name of expanding the kingdom. That's going to lead to chaos, confusion, and burnout. I'm going to answer the question, how are we going to wait, with another question. How did Jesus live? I think we should use him as our example. And yes, I'm aware that now the standard is pretty high for every one of us. However, for me, it hasn't worked out very well following the examples or advice of the most recent uh, Christian self-help guru or uh, following the advice of whoever's trending on social media with their newest life hack for finding extra time and being able to do all the things. It doesn't work well for me. So if we're going to use Jesus as our example for how we're going to wait, we only have to do one thing. We have to prioritize prayer and our connection to God. It's exactly what Jesus did. Mark 135 tells us how he would rise while it was still dark and spend time alone with God. Luke 5.16 says that often, even in the busy periods of ministry, Jesus would withdraw to solitary places to pray. Luke 6.12 says that he spent whole nights in prayer. John 5.19, Jesus says that he can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. And he can only see what the Father is doing if he is spending time with him. Now I could stand here and try to encourage everyone with an extended list of steps that we could try to do to put our faith in action. And we could brainstorm together how we can reprioritize our days to utilize our talents more effectively. But those would be band-aids. The bare bones basic route to the start of putting our faith in action starts with spending purposeful time with God. We do not have to overcomplicate it. The faith that we acquire from that time that we get with God, it's going to give us the means to be able to use what he has entrusted to us. Each of us sitting here, every single one of us sitting here, we have our hands filled with what our Father has entrusted to us. And it's more than any one of us could ever need. It's more than any one of us could ever want. Every one of us have a part in his story. We have a part to play, regardless of how big or small it is, or that we think it is in comparison to others. And every one of us here is going to have to give an account to God on how we utilize what he has entrusted to us. We have to make a choice. We have to choose to either be responsible with those things that he's entrusted us to further expand the kingdom of God, or we can take what has been entrusted to us and bury it in a hole in the ground. <laughs>